You're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, the podcast that celebrates the cultural connections between the UK and New York. I'm your host, British diplomat, Hannah Young. We have not one, but two guests on this week's podcast, Robbie Earl and Robbie Musto. Both are former professional footballers in the English Football League and are affectionately known as the two Robbies. Robbie Earl played as an attacking midfielder for Stoke City, Port Vale and Wimbledon, racking up 578 league appearances and 136 goals. He also represented Jamaica internationally, including in the 1998 World Cup, where he scored his country's first ever goal in the finals. Robbie Musto played as a defensive midfielder for Oxford United, Middlesbrough, where he spent the majority of his career, Charlton Athletic and Sheffield Wednesday, making a similar number of appearances in the league. Both Robbies are now based in the US, as commentators for NBC Sports, where they discuss and dissect the top Premier League storylines after every match week, alongside the amazing Rebecca Lowe, one of our season three guests. They also host the Two Robbies podcast, providing fans with top-class punditry on the most exciting soccer league in the world. Well, as a Watford fan, I'd now say momentarily the second most exciting (laughs) soccer league in the world. But Robbies, welcome to Brits and Big Apple. Thank you. What does one call a collective noun of Robbies? Should have asked in the beginning. A rabble of Robbies. A rabble of Robbies. Thank you very much. Um, I wanted to kick off by uh, talking a little bit about your football careers. And in particular, when did you both realise that you had the talent to become professional footballers? I think it's always difficult in England. You grow up as a child and and most young boys want to be professional footballers. And the first time I thought I had a chance was when I went to high school, which was you, 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 you go in at 12 years of age and leave the, the school at 16. And when I went in as a 12-year-old, I was already playing in the under-16 team, like the top team, and doing okay. And there was a few scouts coming to watch games and were asking, you know, where I lived and could they come and see my parents and things like that. And probably that was the first time I thought, hmm, maybe I might have a chance of, of having a career here. Wow, that's exciting. So I'm very different, which is funny. My high school situation, Burford in Oxfordshire, there were three or four Robbie Earls that were the ones that were going to go become players. I wasn't. So I didn't, to answer your question, I didn't think I was going to be a professional player until I was halfway through my two-year college wow. after high school. So I left high school, no, no association with any club. I guess I was a late bloomer. I developed, I started playing for Whitney Town youth team. I got spotted by Oxford United is where I started. So, so it started later for me. At high school, I wasn't one of those guys. So I was kind of very much under the radar. And uh, at college, I finished my two-year computer diploma. And my, my professor said, so are you going to go into programming or operating or whatever? I said, well, actually, I'm going to be a professional footballer. And he nearly fell off his chair. But I did. And so I never used my amazing education computers and economics to do that. So just, I, Rebecca and I laugh every time Robbie must have talked about his My actual education, <laughs> my actual education. further education that I well, went on. Well, the serious point on that is that actually as well, for, for any young kids who might be listening to this, is that we all develop in different ways totally. at different times. And so, you know, if at 12, 13, 14, you're not maybe hitting the, the right pass, you can still do yeah. that as well. And you have been using your computer programming because you were helping us with our technical kit. Earlier, well, so yes, well, so I, I'm more of the techie Robbie, actually. So. <laughs> techie Robbie. He's techie Robbie. I'm romantic Robbie. Yeah. Oh, 
very nice. What is it actually like being a professional footballer? Because I, when you look at the top, 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 top class footballers, it feels very glamorous, fast cars, sort of sports deals with nice watches and what have you. But what? Tell us what it oh, actually is. Hannah, like. I mean, we, we, I mean, to try and summarise that difficult because there's so much to say about what it like to be a professional footballer. I'm sure everybody's experience is different. I'm sure mine and Robbie Earls is very different. First off, you're you're living the dream. You know, you're, you're out there in front of like 20,000 at Oxford, mm-hmm. then to 35,000 at uh, Middlesbrough, and then, then cup finals, et cetera, et cetera. So that side of it is living the dream, literally living the dream. I mean, I, I sat with my brother and my dad watching the cup finals. I'd never thought I'd ever, ever play in one. So so that's amazing. The, the biggest contrast that I found, and, and maybe this is uh, maybe different to Robbie, but I was I was a... Middlesbrough for a long time, 12, 12 years, of course. And locally, people knew who I was and I got the adulation locally. But I did play with international players, England players, Paul Gascoigne, Paul Merson, Nick Barnby, Gareth Southgate. I mean, lots of them. And the difference of being a professional footballer as a, a local club and being an international place for England was huge. Mm-hmm. We had, a, we had a, a racing day at Cheltenham Races and I went with the team in Middlesbrough and I walked into the area with... Uh, Paul Gascoigne, and the amount of people, I mean, I know he's, he's the biggest example probably of fame in, in terms of being a footballer. My goodness, I said to Gascoigne as he walked, he said, how do you handle this? Everybody's turning around, staring at him, asking him stuff, coming up to, coming up to him with, with so many requests and stuff like that. It's like, gosh. So when you talk about what it's like to be a professional footballer, that's mm. probably more what you're thinking. Mm. And I've been around those guys. Gareth Southgate, England manager right now, is my roommate big friends and mm. again the difference is is big so mm. i'd love for my personality i loved it a little bit of local fame and, and doing what you dreamed of doing and, and mixing with these players was magnificent i'm not sure i would have wanted the the, the focus and scrutiny of being an england player mm. that's really interesting yeah it's an interesting position um i think we're slightly different and i agree with, with robbie uh, in a lot of what he says I think the biggest thing you can say in being a professional footballer is you're doing the, the thing you love every day. And, and you mentioned that, you know, you know, nearly 600 league games. Every one of those games is enjoyable. Every one of those games, I remember, and, and you know, I, I was fortunate enough to play international football for Jamaica. And it was a great um, occasion. We managed to get the first goal and sort of, you know, a bit of history and go down to Jamaica and I'm well looked after with you ticking and run now I'm like you know I get as much as I, I, I want on those things but people always mention that goal and, and, and you know that must have been you know I had bigger moments being away at Halifax and scoring the third goal there because that meant, meant just as much at that moment and, and doing the thing you love every day waking up every morning going into a dressing room being with a group of players playing together at the weekend hopefully winning enjoying that, that feeling there's nothing better than that one of the things that I, I think that, that, that hits home, and Robbie talks about international football and the jazzers of, of the world, is that you know you played at school and you're relatively good. You go and play in, into a, a, a youth team somewhere and you're relatively good. You get to the first team and you you, you become a star, whatever that means. And then you go on to the international stage, and then you realize you, you're humbled very quickly because you realize these levels and these levels of people whose technical tactical physical ability is just way better than yours and Robbie's talking about the gazers and the okay they're playing against some players in one Sebastian Veron and uh, Bakistuta in Argentina I mean 
just levels above where you are. It, it was quite humbling. I remember coming back after that World Cup and training harder than I've ever trained because mm. I thought, oh, I've still got a way to go. Mm. It must be an amazing feeling, though, when you walk out of the tunnel and the crowds are cheering for you. And I was going to ask you, if you could pick out one professional career highlight, what would that, what would that be for both of you? Sadly, you do think of, of the bad moments, mm, you know, and, and so I had some great moments with promotion. So from championship to the Premier League with Middlesbrough uh, a couple of times was, was superb. And some great cup runs, Hannah, that, that, you know, beating Liverpool over two legs to reach the League Cup final. Get into an FA Cup final, that semi-final Old Trafford against Chesterfield. When the ball crossed the line, did it cross the line? I mean, I, I was captain that day. I mean, some amazing moments and to, to go around. I think we beat them on the replay. I got I went to replay. But the cup finals were incredibly disappointing for me. Mm. You know, the FA Cup final, again, that we all dream about playing in, was the best day in my football career and probably my worst mm. at the same time because I, we lost again to Chelsea 2-0 and I went off with a, with a really bad knee injury after about half an hour. So, you know, when you, when you go back to think about your best moments, for me, because I had a few of these bad days, mm -hmm. we lost three cup finals in two years, that kind of taints it. But it, it's not... It's just part of my experience of being a professional footballer for that amount of time. Some great moments, but also some some big days that didn't go well. Yeah, well, as a Watford fan, I've also <laughs> suffered uh, several FA Cup final uh, traumas, yeah. so I can I can relate to that to an extent. Yeah, my probably one game that it stands out to me is is in the FA Cup. But it was at Old Trafford, and we were Wimbledon, and, and we used to be the perennial pod. People would say like, you know, the big, we want to go to the big clubs, and, and we're gonna, you know do it our way and we're going to change things up. And remember we were we were one nil down to Manchester United in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup and um, Alan Kimball, our left back, put a ball in the box and I managed just by luck and judgment to get my head onto the ball. It flew into the net past Michael and we got a 1-1 draw. Took him back to Sellers, we beat them. And um, just a little story on that as well. The night we beat them at Sellers Park, so Alex Ferguson came in and applauded as we said, this team have got something that I still would like my team to have. Like yeah. Never, you know, never give in, never say die attitude. Um, but it was really great on the day because there was probably 3,000 Wimbledon fans stood right up in the top end of, of, of the stadium. You've got the biggest stadium in England, the best team in England, the best manager in England, and in this whole place. And it was a bit of a day when it was like for the underdogs, for the yeah. little teams that, you know, we, we can still compete. Yeah. And that 1-1 one, one draw set us up to, to beat them down at Sellers and we went on to the FA Cup semi-final, actually, the following month of the tour. Same, same, same season. Year, same yeah. season. So we could have met in the so final. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So, and yeah, the two Robbies meeting earlier. But, wow. Yeah, that was my day at Old Trafford, silencing 70,000 people and now I mean, two or 3,000 Wimbledon fans going crazy. Oh. That's the beauty of the FA yeah. Cup as well, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's so unique as a as a as a something. Yeah. They have the Open Cup here in the US, don't they? Which is a little bit similar. similar. Yeah, where the small teams can yeah. make it right through to the against the MLS. A lovely segue to talking about your transition to the US. Actually, mm. be really great to hear mm. a little bit more about why you both made that move over here. What was it that inspired you about coming to the US? I retired in two thousand and four. I think I was almost thirty six. I'd done my time. Sheffield Wednesday was my last club living in the northeast of England, because we stayed up in Middlesbrough area, and we just thought, what are we going to do now? Because it's like, maybe there's a few careers that's very similar to ours, but at 35, 36, you draw a line. That life ends. Mm -hmm. It's really like mm -hmm. difficult, 
I would say, Hannah, that I spent, and I say this, like almost every week in my 18, 19 year career, thinking about what I was going to do when I finished playing. It's that much of a concern that the life's wow. going to end and something. I mean, that's my personality. I kind of you know, worry about what's going to be next. So anyway, Middlesbrough, do we stay here? But we've got tons of friends. We love the area. Both our boys were born in, in the Northeast. Or do we try something different? Something different means do we go back down to Oxfordshire, where we're from, but we've been away for 15 years, or do we try something different? And we always love coming to America on our holidays to Florida or different places. And I said to Caroline, my wife, why don't we just try something different? So I, I wrote some emails to some soccer people here in the United States, like three or four different places. And I got a reply from John Kerr, head coach at Harvard University in, in Cambridge in Massachusetts. He said, I know you, I played in England, I know of you, come over and check out Boston. Yeah. So I did, I thought it was great. Caroline, the boys came out, we thought this is pretty interesting. You know, you've got Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, you've got skiing in Vermont and New Hampshire. So it's a European field city, you can fly back to the UK dead easy. So that's what we did. My attorney in uh, London said, you've still got a 50-50% chance whether it's going to work. And I remember the day she phoned up, said, you're on speakerphone, because the office was involved. And he said, you've got the 01 visa. And from then, sold the house, put the furniture on a ship, and booked our one-way tickets. Amazing. And that's how it happened real quick. And I didn't have a job, didn't have a full-time job. I had some contacts, John Kerr, of course. And we had a little bit of wiggle room to come over and find our feet a little bit. And it worked out great. But I literally landed, Hannah. We walked to a near car rental place, got into a car. And then we kind of looking around, looking for houses to rent. So wow. it happened very kind of last minute. But no, the rest, I mean, what was that? Two, 2006 or something. So yeah, it's wow. been quite the, quite the journey. And maybe in a way easier to just do something completely different. Yeah. That's yeah. more helpful yeah. mentally. Yeah. As a footballer, everything is going for you. Everything is laid out. You don't really have to think about what's coming next. Yeah. So when your career finishes, that's the first time. I think that can be a shock to some about where next is. I was slightly different. I, my career finished at Watford. It was the last time I ever played. I got injured at Watford, spent three months, or spent a month at Watford uh, General Hospital. That's kind of a, that's with, an amazing amount of time. With a tour. To play football, it's been a month. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was three months in wow. total. Three months right. in total, right? And then got airlifted to London and another two months. So, yeah. injury done. That was mm -hmm. me done and dusted, which was a really interesting position because, as Robbie said, he felt at 36, he was virtually I, I was 35, I had a couple more years left on contracts and things, and thought I'd probably see that out. Mm -hmm. I was probably thinking maybe, you know, one more contract somewhere else, and then that was going to be. But it was taken away. And in some respects, when it, it's taken away from you, it forces you into having to think about the future. So I, I went, did some college courses, I did some media courses, I, I was, I'd done my coaching badges. So I got myself kind of as tooled up as I could and then decided right I'm just going to be open to anything to, to what comes out there started a bit of radio did some tv kind of went okay a few couple of people said um you know you should you should have a look at this got offered a, a contract with ITV in the meantime I was doing some work for ESPN out of London for the American audience so things progressed sort of six seven years later our kids have always been on holiday in the, in the US and, and felt that they wanted to school here. My, my son's always liked the college system and that. So it was something we'd always thought about. It was always as a, a, a family we'd thought about it. And we decided to, to make, make the move. 2010, ESPN wanted me to come over, help throw the game here. My kids were at a good age to come over. My son was ready for college and my daughter was ready for high school. 
So we made the move and we went to the west coast to LA. I had a few friends who were around that, that area. So we settled pretty quickly. I was then working in the MLS for Portland Timbers. It was a it was a sort of mutual contract who put us together, went on, and, and that was a brilliant way of understanding about American soccer, understanding the major league soccer, and seeing a lot of the American country on somebody else's dime. So we're going to away games to all these different states, home games in Portland, which was a brilliant, brilliant place to do the broadcasting from. And yeah, we set up pretty quickly. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And again, very different journeys, yeah, but yeah. both here. Ended up in the same place. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because we played against each other a number of times. We sort of knew each other, but weren't, say friends or we didn't have any strong relationship and then what some 20 years after our career we end up in a studio sat next to lady Lowe, as we call her rebecca Lowe. we're now broadcasting started one with espn because i also yeah. after a couple of years coaching i come to, to massachusetts and started coaching at boston college and i knew somebody at espn and i started doing stuff with them and that's kind of how yeah, i think we start to interact to, yeah rob through the you know i was near bristol mm-hmm. connecticut so i could drive to the studio I so i think yeah, so I think I think mm. our boss started to see Pierre Musa, yeah. our boss, was yes. trying to put together a team for NBC's coverage of the Premier League. I yeah. think he liked kind of the way mm. that we interacted. We both played in the league, of course, as well. So yeah. that kind of mm. drew us closer together to when Pierre kind of recruited the opening team yeah, for the Camel team. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and so you present with Rebecca, with Lady Lowe, yes. uh, every week. You also yes. have a podcast we do the two of you yeah. can you tell us a bit it's, more about that well it's interesting because the two robbies basically came i think bex used to just say it as a bit of a throwaway term and i'm here with the two robbies which is yeah. an easy kind of term of endearment and it's funny because in england most people know it's a play on the two ronnies we finish our podcast yeah. we yes. say good night for me i say it's good night from oh. him good night and so it's a play on, on that so most of the english um lovely appreciate it. half the audience will half the audience so you now need right, to go on youtube put in the two ronnies and then you'll yeah. see why, why we're yeah. together but we, we were sort of put together we've got we've got very different personalities but i think generally we get to the same place on a different journey mm-hmm. i see things through feel and touch and emotion and, and, and insight and experience. Robbie's much more clinical, forensic. You know, I, I said the other week, it was his birthday last week, and I said, I've never met a more forensic analyst yeah. in football in, in the US. He, he can break things down. He can tell you why this is happening with, with data and stats. He's programming. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we kind of, and, and that's often, I think, the interesting play. And, and what I believe NBC have done very well over the course of the nine years is they've given us a platform to have create personalities that the viewer can buy into so i'm going to say things a different way than musty's going to say and sometimes we'll go at it sometimes we disagree and that also makes good tea as long as tv as long as it's done respectfully and Mm. in a in a in a professional way he might see a game Manchester United play particularly poor and I might say poor and we'll we'll have that. That's always fun to be able to do that. I'd say it's interesting as well and maybe important to say how it started. When we first started doing the broadcast with NBC we found that the the chat times were so short because they've got to make their money from commercials and you know so we have these little 30 second sound bites and we wanted to have more opinion so we actually started with a radio show, a live radio show. So we finished all our three games back to back to back and then jump into a studio and do a radio show live and have phone-ins. 
So we wanted wow. to kind of connect it together that way. So yeah. we had more to give, more to say. Yeah, we just did off our own back. Like just, five lives style. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah like yeah. you know, the guy driving home. To love that. Yeah, the yeah. guy the driving home. home exactly. You know, which, who needs to be sucked or yeah. you know, all that those things. Yeah, all those things. Yeah. So that's how it's kind of started, yeah. and then we've gone from that and, and made it more manageable with the podcast, where we yeah. record it on our own time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it takes yeah. up the phone calls, but but I think you know, for longevity-wise, for us, it was the way to go. So mm. and it's been and this year. Our numbers have just rocketed, which has been great, and we're very thankful for the people who now on YouTube or listen on um, to the podcast but I think we've also evolved it where we're trying to differentiate a little bit from the studio so the studio is one way of broadcasting delivery the podcast is a little bit like ties off you know as if you want to spot a tin of beer and we're chatting like it's a pub conversation mm. so I think that's also mm. important that you know you get the underbelly of, of conversations not always the headline top stuff and, and, and it has to be short yeah it has to be on tv we have to be short like yeah. we'll say our producer on our ear yeah, saying so okay guys you got you got a minute yeah we've got a minute yeah. between two of you okay yeah. well i've got to talk for 30 seconds yeah. i've got to give him a chance and that's Rebecca's very generous gonna... of you yeah. and you have also since you've been here seen an exponential growth cool. in popularity of football Incredible. soccer sport you know writ large can you just talk us through american appreciation of British football because I think that has completely transformed. Well, I mean, oh gosh, I mean, you know, from landing um, from England into Boston, I was first off shocked at how many kids play in, in our sport, soccer in America. I expected them to drive around and see little baseball games and American football, kids throwing this ball around and stuff like that, but it was soccer everywhere. So I think that that's always been there. Mm-hmm. But I think the way that NBC have, have taken it and have covered it in a full manner, we are now starting to see incredible amounts of growth. And again, I say it all the time, don't I? I'm going to say it again now. Like, and it's a silly metric. It's probably it's a, it's not a very good metric. It's it's more maybe of, a, of an Earl type of stat than you must have type of stat. But simply getting recognised from walking around mm. in Connecticut or like in New, New York City or wherever it is, by the way. I mean, I went to Saratoga Springs up in New York, and to the racing and stuff. The amount of people that say, "Oh, I know you from the football," and you know, love the coverage and all that. I mean, that's got more and more and more and more. I went to the U.S. Open yesterday. I mean, it's not, it's, I think we're in the building, uh, in the grounds, 20 minutes before somebody's like, oh, no, we get a photograph with his, with his, his son, with his dad. I mean, it, and again, it's not a, a super accurate metric, but it's got to be growing. The Premier League and the way that we've covered it, telling the stories outside the game, we don't just do the game, we tell the stories, we show the interviews, and, and, we, and we break down stuff, and we, we make headlines. It's, it's more than just the game, it's the stories around it. But I think that NBC's done a great job of, promoting it and it makes it interesting for everybody who wants to get involved mm. yeah i totally agree on, on on what nbc do and, and the way they do it and and the biggest thing i felt coming into the broadcast and working with the team is this is authentic this stands up in the uk mm. this isn't dumbing down this isn't mm. talking as if people don't know the sport and robbie's you know i'm i'm supposed to be the romantic robbie that, that talks about the emotion but my metrics come from my travel. I live on, in LA and I travel over to the East Coast to watch games. When I first was traveling in airports, I never saw a, a soccer, football game on the TV. Now I hear people asking the, the establishment, could you put the football on, please? I, see, I never used to see people wearing shirts. The odd Liverpool, maybe Arsenal, my new shirt, the odd one. Now, Everywhere you go, people are wearing shirts. Yeah. I mean, this this whole thing has completely changed. 
we, we're now in a position where we do fan fest. There's one coming up in Philly in October 15, 16. Thousands and thousands of people. People travel from around the country to be at a fan fest to celebrate football. That wasn't happening when I first came to this country. Nowhere near. And I'm interested in your take on how Americans choose their football team. Because I feel like in the UK, it's quite a visceral connection. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm a Watford fan because I was born down yeah. the road from Bridge yeah. Road Stadium. And and typically in the UK, you'll have a, a yeah, particular a, family, a family affinity or, or something. Yeah. What, what's your sense it's, of what Americans think It's a really interesting about? question. The thing that I found, again, um, probably may have a different view, is the people I'm around, like to be part of a group and, 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 I, and I liken this to you know when they go to a college they all wear the college hoodies with pride and see them you know all around it yeah we'd never do that back in England you know you go to college yeah. that's a, you forget about it so I think they like to be part of, of the group now in the past people generally support not support your team they've liked the league they want the Premier League now people want a team the amount of times I get asked by fans who should I support? Yeah. Interesting. So I say, I, so I, I have my little five questions. Very, very rarely have I said what, but I'll, I'll try and find it. But generally, people say, and, and I say, tell me a bit about you. What, what do you like? What's right. your personality? And then I pick a team, and I sometimes say, Newcastle will be good for you. You might not win as much as mm-hmm. Everton would be a great team. You know, I don't have, you know, I say, don't worry about Man United. They don't win anything. But that's only the past, and that's to get on a Man United eventually. People like a reason, and sometimes you, you, you can give them that reason to, to, to go and support them. Not easy, though. Not no, easy. No. I, I remember when, when we first started our coverage, I think it was Rebecca and Carl Martino did a show in, oh, in the city, yeah, in, yeah. in New York City, and I think it was like an audience with to try and figure out ways of picking a team. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great question. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, maybe I'm, I'm less involved than you, but it's difficult to try and people say, Oh, should I support? Well, it's hard. Like, try the colors of shirts, if you, if you have a you know, some kind of connection with colours. Um, it is difficult. You know, yeah, it was the Eagles, isn't it? And, and Philadelphia. Yeah, do you want the big, do you want to, do you want to win? Yeah, like, do you want to, like a real interest to win big stuff? Underdogs. Yeah, certain, or underdogs, or, of course, we want to suggest teams that, um, teams that are going to stay there. So, no, it's a, it's, it's a difficult one, you know, and I can't always help that much. Like, well, I don't know, trying to figure something out, it's, it's not easy. I mean, as, as well as an interest and enthusiasm for uh, the English Premier League, Major League Soccer is also, yeah. you know, um, growing in popularity, yeah. and and also the women's game actually as well. Yeah. And and I feel like the US actually, led you know, way. led the way on that. And and obviously, you know, we've been captivated by the lionesses over the past summer, who've done amazingly well. Can you just give a sense of what the outlook, you know, what does it feel like moving forward? We've talked about the growth up until this point, but mm. really does feel like we're, you know, we're about to well, go even. Just well, well, I mean, NBC have paid a lot of money for the rights again for another six year cycle, and you know, I, I get the sense around the company that, that they're, they're ambitious with how big this league is going to get. I think I, I don't know the official numbers, but I think we're edging past ice hockey, NHL. I don't think we're that far behind Major League Baseball. Now, of course, you've got the NBA, and, and of course, college sport is. An incredible like if there's one thing that I spoke to my family about when I first moved to America, I said, You don't you don't understand how big college sport is, mm. which is incredible. Jeez. Like incredible. So I don't know how that stacks up. But I know the Premier League wanna be or NBC, they want the Premier League to be right up there. Now, I'm not sure we'll ever get to NFL type of viewing figures because it's huge and it's it's amazing, it's great. 
But that's kind of the thought over the next six years. Can we get to be maybe the second best? Can we be the second most watched league in, in America? Now, that would be incredible progress. So I think in terms of the Premier League itself, that is what we're all striving for. Let's get it as popular as we can, uh, elevate it. I mean, every other country on the planet loves our football. And I think people do here as well. We just got to show it, show it them. Uh, I think the fan fests are, are, are being almost game changing in mm. terms of getting other people in. I think there's a crossover yeah, that we, crossover, we've interviewed. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Butler, the uh, NBA yeah, player, JJ, JJ Watt. Watt, we famously yeah. met in, a, in, a, mm. in an airport one time. Mm. Didn't know was. Was. Uh, it was amazing. So we didn't recognize him. But anyway, <laughs> so I think the crossover we're trying to use as well to try and drive the sport, interest in the sport. Yeah. What's also interesting as well, and I think it's important to say that, you know, Football in the US isn't just about the Premier League, and we are supportive of the other leagues. MLS, it's it's so so important that MLS becomes a, a, a well watched, well supported, quality league as well. Mm. The more people we get in involved in football, the better for us all. Mm. And we, what NBC have done well, and other people, the Men in Blazers is a very different angle. It brings a different kind of people to to the game, and and, and you know influences now and, and we've got to use social media and bring other people to the game it's about growing the game as a whole and, and the point where i think the potential is when you see the amount of kids who play the game mm. over weekends and weeks if we can convert those into football watches football of any kind but watching the mm. game then that's when this this has an opportunity to really start to affect you know, the, the, the top leagues in I the mean, world. Rob, we're on year 10 now. Yeah. So yeah. we hear stories yeah. of, I'll oh, bring my kids down. They watch the, the Premier League in the yeah, mornings. And now, generationally, this is this is how it starts. Those so they're going to get older. Right. right. Yeah. And then when they yeah. kind of have settled down and have families, yeah. I think that's part of the growth as well. And that's been a that's been quite rewarding. But I think MLS, just to go back on that real quick, I think it's gonna. I think it's maybe take a long, long time, but I think it could get really big. It's so a big deal. I think they've done a new TV deal. Exactly. So I think. Yeah, I think they they could shoot up yeah. as well. And we've got the World Cup coming down oh, the track. We've got the World Come on, England. Predictions for the World US. Cup. I mean, our whole studio is split. If USA beat England, oh, no, we, can't we can't go back to work. We cannot. We cannot go back to work. I'll tell you now. Our American colleagues. Ready and waiting. It's going to come a cre- it's like a strange season because we're going to stop, like literally stop at November thirteenth or fourteenth, something yeah. like that, for this World Cup stuff. And we're going to have fun. We're going to get together and watch it. Maybe watch yeah. the game together. Some yeah. of them. Um, but I mean, who doesn't love a World Cup? I mean, yeah, it's, it's my favourite, favourite thing, obviously. And come on, Gareth's my man. He's yeah. my mate. He's my yeah. old teammate and roommate. Say the golden. He can do it. This is golden generation. Yeah. <laughs> very exciting. And finally, predictions for the Premier League. Season. Oh, interesting. I went earlier with Manchester City oh, with Erling Haaland. My good friend here said, Oh, it's oh, going to take Haaland a bit of time to settle. And I said, Good teams, good managers, it will make it work. And I just think good teams, good managers will make it work. It's a solid prediction. Thank you, ma'am. It's an easy one. Isn't it? easy <laughs> now, I, uh, so of course, at the, the, the day one of our broadcast, we get asked a question. And I just look back thinking, you know what, last season was incredibly close. Like Liverpool lost by one point with 20 minutes to go. They were champions with the results how they how it was going. So given the, the, the big moves and stuff, and both teams have, have made new signings, new attacking players, I just felt Liverpool might just have that hunger to, to get it done this season. Mm. Now, Erlen Hang, of course, has been fascinating to watch. Um, 
I wondered how the team was going to change to get the best out of him. It's happening as we see it right now. What's he got? 10, 11, 10, 10, 10 results, which is astonishing, astonishing. So, yeah, Man City are going to be huge favourites, but I'm not changing. I, I, I picked Liverpool just to do it, and, uh, you know, who knows? Top four, top four. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is still early, yeah. Yeah, it's early. Yeah, it's going to happen. Thank you. And finally, we are introducing for season four of Brits and the Big Apple a final quick fire round. Oh, blimey. You didn't tell us that. So, I'm going to ask you some very quick questions. Don't think too hard about it, okay? We never do. This is dangerous. This is dangerous. Okay, so I'm going to start by asking you soccer or football? Football. Football. (laughs) (laughs) Player you most aspire to be like when you were growing up? Brian Robson. Oh, Brian Robson. Kevin Keegan. Favourite ever soccer player? Maradona. Lionel Messi. Any strange pre-match routine or superstition from either of you? Mine's probably going to be a boring answer. Computer programming. Apart from computer programming. Nothing. Nothing, nothing. Didn't want to have to rely on anything as soft as that. Lucky underpants. Lucky underpants. Tripe. Ketchup or HP sauce? Ketchup all day long. Marmite or peanut butter? Peanut butter. I hate marmite. My wife really? loves it. Which yeah. is, isn't it lovely then? Yeah. yeah. I'm really going for some um, culinary questions yeah. here. Mm. Bacon sandwich or bagel and schmears? Bacon sandwich. Mm. Ooh. What would you choose <laughs> instead? Um, avocado and toast. Oh, that's a classic. Yeah. Okay. Favourite thing to do in New York City? Party. Oh, blimey. Uh, Theatre. Lovely. Robbie L, Robbie Mustay, thank you so much for coming on Brits in the Big Apple. You're welcome, thank you. You're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, brought to you by the British Consulate in New York. If you'd like to hear more about the work of the British Consulate, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at UK in New York. Thank you for listening.